1: No purchase is necessary boy prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog talk
0: radio. Blog talk radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nations, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank everyone for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the US. If you have been following uh, some of the broadband news and, and my posts, um, you may recall that um, just recently in Colorado, two uh, communities had successful uh, community broadband referendums passed in the uh, November election. And today, I'm coming to you from one of those cities, Centennial, Colorado, and. Uh, we are here for a workshop I'm giving you, actually, the Building the Gigabit City in Colorado. And one of the topics that uh, we're talking about today in the workshop is the politics of broadband. And I don't care how you slice it, dice it, uh, politics is a definite reality of any kind of broadband project that you might undertake. Now clearly not all of the states uh, have requirements for referendums and so forth. So I wanted to bring this subject up and, um, and talk about it in the context of all of the other like various political issues that you might run into. More importantly, how, do, or how does your community prepare itself for um, uh, a similar kind of a referendum or just dealing with the, 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 the politics and the politicians that are involved with broadband efforts? Uh, today, our guest is Vince Jordan. Uh, Vince has actually been on our show before, and he has uh, been a key figure in the Longmont uh, effort, the, the long march, if you will, toward broadband, has been involved in three uh, referendum uh, efforts within Longmont. And I could think of no one better to talk about the ups and downs and how to prep for that than Vince. So Vince, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Craig. It's always a pleasure to be here.
0: So let's kick this off with, uh, let's start with an overview of um, Longmont's referendum history, because I think it's useful, uh,
1: especially in light of the fact that this third referendum was very different than the first two. Yeah, well, you know, Longmont's had a uh, fiber network in place since um, 1997, Mm -hmm. and then uh, Colorado passed um, Senate Bill 152 in 2005, which restricted municipalities from either directly or indirectly um, providing broadband services to their businesses and residents. And then so in in 2009, uh, Longmont decided to you know, go uh, with a referendum to overturn that because you can by popular vote. That was one of the clauses in SB 152 in a community. By popular vote could overturn that and then be free to, to move forward with um, their, uh, their own plans. So uh, in 2009, um, we uh, put a referendum up to uh, do that. We thought it was a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> not so much. Uh, we're You're a little rough. We were defeated by that was yeah that was an interesting one uh, so that we were defeated by um, a 12 percent margin um, went at it again in 2011 quite a few things happened between 09 and 11 that made us think that 11 would go better it did mm-hmm. um, it passed an 11 with a, a 62% margin in favor. And then this last one was about funding the build-out of the entire network mm-hmm. to, the, to the whole community. And that one, you know, if this was a presidential election, I think they'd call this a mandate. <laughs> I think it was a 67% mm-hmm. um, pass on that one. Mm-hmm. So the, the leap of, of faith or
0: logic here that I'm having, and one of the reasons why I wanted to have a, a, a segment both of the workshop and of our broadcast to focus on this, Is that my feeling? Is that the effort that you went into to educate and rally the constituents is an effort that is is that one that communities in general need to take in order to address their local uh, political issues, to garner support from the city, both staff and elected officials, uh, to be able not so much maybe to to have to address a referendum, because obviously not all states require that. But there, there's a certain amount of, you know, marketing of the network that has to happen. So the assumption is, long story short, is that what you guys did to garner support, your average community is going to want to do that anyway just to have, the, the network project be successful? Is that a logical
1: leap? Oh, I, I think so. You know, if you if you think about it, um, you've got you know a variety of political parties uh, in, in the country, and, and certainly in our communities, and some of those political parties don't think government should be doing anything that the private sector could do. Mm-hmm. And and you know we ran into that along with the referendum issues, and it, it was um, we took. Uh, quite a bit of care to speak with those folks and try and make them understand that, you know, we got to the point where we basically said, you know, we're not competing with the private sector because we're going to bring a product and service that they're not going to bring in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh So in that fashion, you know, we're not competing with them. Broadband, you know, it's not always an apples to apples um, comparison, right? Uh I mean, dial-up isn't DSL, isn't cable, isn't fiber to the home. Uh-huh. You know, these are, different, these are different products. And so we actually spoke quite a bit with the political um, groups as well as addressing the referendum, just addressing the idea that, you know, a municipality should be in this business. A municipality uh-huh. should be taking care of, you know, what we refer to now as critical infrastructure. Um, Part of our conversation this morning, uh, one of the, the panel members here was talking about, you know, people expect when they move into a community, they expect water, they expect power, they expect, you know, the trash to be picked up. They mm-hmm. expect, you know, um, sewer. Uh, now they expect a broadband connection mm-hmm. and, and a good one, mm-hmm. not just a passable one, but one that could really be used to facilitate the way they do business, the way they do education, and the way they do lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I think more and more that's that's falling on municipalities to satisfy that need um, because we're not seeing investment in this country, um, in really what we call ultra-high-speed, mm-hmm. you know, broadband connectivity. So you you, you see, uh, then, broadband
0: uh, becoming something that is reflective of a need, a community need, and these campaigns, whether it would be a campaign to win a referendum or a campaign to win over the city council, what you're really trying to do is uh, understand and represent, and then advance the voice of the people.
1: Right. I mean that's well, and that's the whole idea behind you know really any municipality and any any you know city staff is we're there to represent the community. The council's there to represent the community. It's really about the community, mm-hmm. right? You know we we've got we got pretty smart about this as we went along, and we learned a lot as we went along. But we started referring to this as the community's network. Uh-huh. You know, which really became something. We we started out, I think, in the early days. We often talked about it as being the city network. We quit doing that and referred to it as communities network, because in reality, it is the
0: communities uh-huh. network.
1: You know, and, and they're taking advantage of something that that belongs to them. Um, and so we learned as we went along, you know, working with groups, working with HOAs, you know, working with a lot. Of we really did talk to the community a lot, both the business and the residents. You brought up a point earlier today about understanding, you know, what is available in your mm-hmm. community. Because when you ask the incumbents, they go, everything's good. you got everything you ever want, you ever need. And when you go out and really put boots on the street and speak to the businesses and residents, I mean, I was astonished. I, I would walk into, you know, fairly industrial areas in town and find out that all anybody could get was a T1. Uh-huh. you know and that was it i couldn't even get dsl or cave on like you're kidding me i got i got 20 businesses here and that's all you can get here is is one uh-huh. you know that was, was surprising i uh, walked into um newer areas of the community where new housing developments have gone up in four or five years and the best they could do is one and a half meg over dsl and that's all they had That uh-huh. just surprised the daylights out there, you know and so we collected that information and pulled that together and obviously we shared that with you know Uh, stakeholders within the city with the city council. And everybody was kind of surprised that, you know, Longmont's a fairly high-tech community. Uh We've got a lot of high-tech businesses there, and that this was truly the state of connectivity in the community. And that helped us, you know, bolster the argument as well that we should move forward with this and and bring this ubiquitously to the entire community. Uh Let's talk about the nature of the outreach. So here in the workshop we're talking about,
0: or we have talked about, uh, recruiting stakeholders and how to go about that. And later this afternoon we'll talk about um, getting uh, feedback from, you know, a large portions of the community. How did you initially, say, running the run-up to the first referendum, how did you go about identifying key, I don't know, leaders and lieutenants yeah. to become part of the, the effort?
1: Well, in the first referendum, um, We didn't do such a great job of it, and that's that's part of why I think we lost. Uh Um, You know, we thought it was a no-brainer, right? I mean, the fiber's there, um, the school district's using it, the hospital's using it, the city's using it, the county's using it, the community college is using it. We just figured, well, yeah, of course everybody's going to want access to this. Um, We had a couple of, um, you know, grassroots folks working with the city to promote it, uh, but we figured, you know, yeah, of course, this, is, this is makes sense. We, you know, we were going to take back our original right to utilize this for the benefit of the community. Uh-huh. Um, the uh, incumbents came out really strong. Um, I mean, uh, in Longmont's 100-plus year history, this was the most money spent on a single election and on a single issue, of a single election. Um, and they changed it. They, they actually changed what the referendum was about. Uh-huh. It no longer was about um, getting the city's right back to uh, take advantage of, of an asset they already had in place. It was don't give the incoming city council a blank check to do whatever they want. Right. And it was a masterful campaign. And, in fact, I know it's a canned campaign because I've seen it run in other communities. Since then. <laughs> so it's called the No Blank Check campaign. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they flooded the newspapers, the radio, the television, which they could uh-huh. They have the television, um, our mailboxes. I know people that still have stacks of stuff that they collected in their mailbox from the first referendum. And, and they ran a masterful campaign. I mean, uh, I think we spent a total of $95 and they spent a quarter of a million,
0: you know, uh-huh. on that.
1: Um, but again, we thought it was, you know, of course, it's a no brainer for the community. And, and I think that's part of why we lost. So, so the next time around, I mean, we caught a break with the whole Google Fiber thing, uh-huh. and that really helped. Uh, you know, that raised the awareness across the country uh-huh. about the importance of, of, of fiber connection. Uh-huh. And you had 1,100 communities, including Lamont, who you know um, vied for the for Google to come to them and and utilize them as their first city. You know, we know Kansas City won that um they're a mistake They should have picked them up anyway fair yeah. enough and, and i'm not you know i'm not <laughs> not biased Right? <laughs> um, but i could give you lots of good reasons why um but senate bill 152 is a good reason why not to because it would have ended up having a fight in state and we would have ended up having a fight in state and it wouldn't have gone but that helped us right off the bat start raising the awareness in the community and then we did before we went to 2011. I mean, we were talking to our neighborhood group leaders association. Uh-huh. We were talking to local hacker groups. We were talking to HOAs. We actually got a much larger homeowners association, homeowners association, okay. mm-hmm. and and got a larger grassroots group put together. Uh-huh. Um, So that when we went to the referendum again in 2011, and we we learned a little bit about language in our ballot issue as well, Uh Um, you know, the way they beat us in in 2009 was that we were going to raise taxes, we were going to take money away from the police department and the fire department and all that. So we started out our ballot language with three very important words without raising taxes. And then boom, 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 boom. We uh-huh. went through the language for the referendum from there. But we put that front and center right up front. So we took that ability, that campaign ability, away from them,
0: right? Uh-huh. Um, and they went
1: with a totally different campaign in 2011. And I think the community was much, well, clearly the community was much more well-positioned and, and, and understood better
0: what we already had
1: in place, what this meant to us. It had become a national you know, dialogue uh-huh. Uh-huh. at that point, which was great. Like I said, I think we really caught a break with with that whole Google Fiber thing. And um, even though they spent a half a million dollars that time fighting it, so a whole lot more stuff in in mailboxes, you know, would pass by 62%.
0: So let's extrapolate from this discussion of referendums, because like I said, a lot of places don't have that as an issue. Mm -hmm. Aren't there still,
1: though, a political game that has to be addressed in almost any community. Well, I'm certain of it. Like we said earlier, you know, there, you've got political parties mm-hmm. who don't believe that government should be doing anything private business is doing. Right. Right. And so, even if you don't have a referendum to overcome, if if you're going to have you know ubiquitous community support, mm-hmm. you've got to be able to make a really good pitch or statement for why this is important to a community, why why it increases economic development in a community, why it facilitates a higher level of education, why it facilitates the lifestyle that people are after, and why it is a utility. It, it, it should be an expected utility like the other ones we listed for a community. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if you can't really make those arguments in an intelligent fashion and in a convincing fashion – you know, you're going to have a split community on whether or not the, the government should be involved in doing something like this. Uh-huh. And that an is operational issue. Isn't there also the case that you know we think
0: of the political structure as the elected officials and what role they'll play, but isn't there also uh, the political aspect from the perspective of the, the staff that has to deal with permitting, staff that has to deal with right-of-way and public works and so forth, that you have, in essence, the political operational structure – has to be won over to this campaign uh, by a community because you're going to have to interact with that political structure throughout the whole the life of the broadband sure.
1: effort, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, you want the support from your entire city staff mm-hmm. as well because this is not done by a person or 10 people or 20 people. I mean, this is a citywide effort, and, mm-hmm. and it touches, I mean, it touches everything. Right, You'd, like you said, you know the permitting, uh, the financial groups, everybody gets touched by this thing. So you really need to buy in from the entire city organization, the council, and then the community as well to make this thing move forward effectively. And the other thing is, you know, you have to be careful of. And, and Kansas City, you know, ran into this. I mean, however, you're going to treat one service provider, including uh-huh. yourself, you have to treat you know everybody else in a fair. In reasonable manner. Right. So we go through the same permitting. We go through all the same steps that you know the incumbents go through in order to lay out new you know new line in the community as well little easier for us because we do have our own electric utility and so we're following our right-of-ways and and you know our lines which makes it a little bit more straightforward for us to do it but we have all the same issues you know that they have so you really do need the buy in from the entire city staff and and city operation to move this thing forward in a smooth fashion because uh-huh. it's a huge undertaking
0: do you think that awareness and um
1: you know, I, I think our
0: group can talk about this, you know, post radio show. But is there a general awareness now that makes the education of the community
1: a little easier? Well, I do. I mean, like I said, it's it you know, this has become we'll look at what, you know, you're doing, right, and our friend Chris Mitchell and mm-hmm. others are mm-hmm. doing. You know, it's really become a national dialogue.
0: Okay. Right. I
1: mean the FCC, what was it, six months ago the the, the FCC the the gigabit said, Challenge. yeah, the gigabit challenge, right? Mm-hmm. I want a gigabit city in, in each state by I don't forget what it was. 2015. Twenty fifteen. Yeah, twenty fifteen, right? Mhm. Well, go, Colorado, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, the guys definitely have that as an issue. Now let's talk about messaging. You know, it was interesting. uh, I I had the folks from oh, middle. uh, I I forget the uh, part, middle part of Missouri, and it was a co-op. And um, one of the things that the guests talked about was um, their finishing up a pilot project that involved a quarter of the city and and a lot of people, a lot of resources. But the thing that he said was at a certain point, you you have to treat this thing like a political campaign, right? So they're doing research and they're doing focus groups and they're doing messaging exercises and they're having rah-rah sessions in town hall and stuff. They literally are treating it as a political campaign.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, One, is that a good analogy? you know I think so Um, I mean looking back at our experience one of the things that we did we did you know, hold rallies. We hold what we called them was public information uh-huh. um, uh, meetings, right? So we and, and we segmented them because the business community had different things that they were interested in from the residential community, uh-huh. and so we we would hold multiple of these meetings, targeting residential or business, and we would present, you know, what we thought we knew about uh-huh. the community and, and what was important, and then we would open it up for discussion, you know, with the residents with the businesses. We would collect information the next next time we would do it, we have more and better information. Uh-huh. And we've continued to do that. In fact, with the passing of this referendum, we're going to continue to do that. And uh-huh. we're going to continue to have focus groups, and we're going to continue to, you know, dialogue with Um, the people in the community to make sure we roll this out in the the proper fashion. We roll it out, you know, in the right places. We put the right products and services on it. Uh Um, You know, we price it correctly, you know, for what they're trying to do and have a a positive impact on the community. I think it, it, it really is, you know, Besides the support from the community, just to make sure you get it right mm-hmm. and you deliver what the community really needs, you, you have to have a continual dialogue with them and you have to keep them involved with this
0: um, you know, to
1: be really successful with it. Mm-hmm. How important is
0: it to have, um, if I were to go to a campaign organization, there would be a repository of knowledge and information, mm-hmm. right? Someone who's responsible for keeping cataloging knowing who their stakeholders are, who the stakeholders on the fence are. Um, is that type of exercise recommended? Do you guys do that, or do you
1: plan to do something like that? We actually, um, so what we did is we ran a, let um, think about this now, prior to this referendum, um, so the funding referendum, mm-hmm. um, our third one, um, we ran a professional marketing survey. Um, so uh, we were working with uh, consultants um, that we had contracted with to help us move mm-hmm. along this. They hired a professional um, survey company to put a, you know, we all worked together to put the survey together. then they ran it mm-hmm. um, so they knew about, you know, uh, how to get the right uh, selection, you know, the right, you know, uh, uh, groups of people like uh-huh. right, the age differences and you know all the things that you're looking for in a professional survey uh-huh. They knew uh-huh. how to do that They knew how to set up the calls where you know They ask you five questions up front and then they would select you out or move on along with you We collected data from you know teenagers to to you know retirees and made sure we had enough representative uh, representation in each one of those
0: um, areas
1: uh-huh. um, And so we did that Uh, as part of our feasibility study, which kind of, you know, leads into the business plan, which was a big part of being able to go out for the funding for this referendum. Uh So we did do a formal survey like that. We also do in-house formal surveys as we, um, because we are open for business. Uh-huh. Um, we've been installing businesses and in residents since April of this year, very limited fashion. Whoever was near the fiber and we could hook them up in a reasonable, at a reasonable cost. Uh-huh. Um, and we do run in-house surveys where we go back and check with those folks and say, you know, how was the install? How's the service? How's the value of the service price compared to what you're getting? You know, those sorts of things. And I think that's That's really important because that's information that we are cataloging and keeping Uh in house, and that you know that's part of a weekly dialogue uh, with us about you know how we doing, Uh right? Do do we have the right idea? Is this making sense? Is this the feedback we're getting even from our small selection of the community? And we'll keep doing that as we go forward. I'm sure you know throughout the whole the whole rollout. Okay. Now with
0: the, the the serious professional survey. What, what was the cost or approximate cost, and what was the benefit,
1: politically speaking? Um, well, yeah, uh, the cost to it was I think it you know, wasn't too bad. I want to say, I want to say fifteen hundred, two grand, something like that, to do the the professional survey. So it wasn't uh-huh. too bad. Um, and you know, from a political perspective, when we went to our city council to talk to them about, you know, putting a referendum in place to um, raise the funds to build this out, we had the results of that. Uh And so, you know, it was great for them, right, as Uh elected officials for us to put up and go, we've done a professional survey with a professional organization. They know what they're doing, and here's the results of that. Basically, the community wants us to move forward with this and make this a reality. And so I think that was a big, you know, that was definitely a a big help and a big plus um, going before the elected officials. And I would assume
0: that the knowledge (coughs) gathered and documented affects the political will, right? Because political will, I don't know if if people have even started talking about this in in broadband circles, but um, one of the things I have noticed is that there appears in certain communities what I would call a lack of political will. That political structure is, whether due to age or due to political leaning or whatever, just does not have the willingness to want to affect the effort to move it forward. If you go in with data, if you go in with numbers, if you go in with, I don't know, maybe just the fact that you did this much legwork, um, changes that equation of the, the impact of the political will or the direction that the political will is going
1: I think I think it can mm-hmm. I'm not sure it always will um, I think that um, you know on top of that, again going back to one of the things that we did is we actually talked to in our in our city the different um, political um, uh, factions, you know, mm-hmm. Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian. I mean, they're well identified mm-hmm. in the community. They have meeting places and all that. And right. we went and spoke to them. Right. And 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 those are the folks who directly get involved with supporting the folks who are running for elections. Right. Are, are running for, and if you can win those people over, I think you can create that political will in a community to move something forward like this. Right. I'm not sure that. You know even with you know you know real solid professional marketing numbers and stuff like that, that would have a big as big an impact on a politician uh-huh. as their own party right right uh-huh. you know i think I think you win even bigger if you can win their party over then it then it becomes something that's got real momentum and real energy behind it i i would you know I'd focus on that as much as, uh, you know as much if not more as you know having professional surveys done okay because it's people to people right 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 you know it's not a PowerPoint to people right know, right and that makes a big difference mm-hmm.
0: um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure a couple of folks here in the room have some uh, questions, but let me get to this issue of um, messaging. Again, if I look at the political arena, messaging is vital. If you have good messaging, you can move mountains, you know, you can get obstacles out of your way, you can sway the masses, and you can move the, the power structure. If you have really bad messaging, you're kind of um, mildly stating behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. Number one,
1: true or not? is, that, is Oh, I would, say, I would say that's definitely true. In, in our 2009 approach, mm-hmm. we really didn't have any messaging at all to speak of because it's Uh no-brainer well it turns out it's not right so in 2011 you know we really got it down this is about you know economic development this is about education this is about lifestyle we repeated that over and over and over the same way in every meeting we went to in every um press conference we did Uh every interview we did we always emphasize those three things and the the reality and the weight behind those three things. We got better and better with the messaging. You know, like I said earlier, you know, we're really not competing because the private sector's not gonna do this. You know, we're doing something above and beyond. And we repeated that over and over. And I believe the messaging was absolutely key to moving that, that one along and this last election along as well. Right. And I would say by
0: extrapolation and you know, having been a poli-sci major myself once upon a time, that is going to be any kind of factor. Again, if you've got reluctant city council, you yeah, just interested. I mean, sometimes it's not even like they dislike it so much as
1: they just don't understand and they're totally... Yeah, they're more interested in green energy or something like that and, you know, broadband, or whatever. <laughs> exactly. I, could, I just check my email.
0: <laughs> so how do you go about, like, well, we do. We have a room full of, of, of city folk here in the room. How do you go about defining messaging? As in, like the mechanics of it all. Do you gather the information and you just kind of like read it 50 times and you have a brainstorming session, or is it trial and
1: error? I well, think how it's. Do you do that? I think it's. I think it's creating. You know, again, going back to, to you know, our approach to it, um, which. I mean, honestly, we are making it up as we went along, right? We hadn't done this before. Most of the cities are in the same position, you know, haven't done this before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, having those information sessions with the businesses and residents helped clarify the, the top line, what I call the top line messaging, that mm-hmm. it was about – business development, education, and lifestyle. Okay. And then continuing those dialogues with those segments, then the business segment, the education segment, and, and, and then the residents really helped to refine that. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sure we adjusted it, you know, every three months, right? Just just tuned it and tuned it, tuned it based on the conversations that we were having both externally with the community and then internally among ourselves. Uh-huh. And, and we did, right? And we sat down, we brainstormed it. You know, we moved this word to here and moved this <laughs> one here. I mean, honestly. We got so, so it did go down to that level. Oh, right? absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. And and it was really based on, you know, really, th- I think we did a really nice level. Anybody that invited us to come talk to them, we came and talked to them. We found somebody uh-huh. to go talk to them, right? And then come back and go, what did you hear? What were the kind of questions you were getting? How did you answer the questions? What were the responses to your answers? How could we refine that better? And that really helped refine this messaging. I mean, now, you know, after... However many years it is, what is this? 20, about, 52, yeah, about A bunch of years, years, right? Yeah. We really got it down, but it took all that time uh-huh. and all this back and forth with folks, and and you know presenting to folks that were you know not inclined to have us pursue this. Uh-huh. I mean that was a big deal. We you know we've met with with uh, political parties as well as um, just folks who well. Actually, we presented in situations where the competition was there, uh-huh. right? And they were going to get to speak, you know, after we presented, and that was an important part of it because hearing, you know, their their rebuttal to it, hearing their, you know, this is why it shouldn't be done really helped us refine messaging so the next time we went out we were responding to that already Mm -hmm. and pretty pretty soon you know we started to take that away from them Uh because we were already addressing it in in our you know standard messaging that was going forward Uh so yeah it, it, it was it was a process of constant refinement constant dialogue constant listening brainstorming. You, you don't do it once and go, there it is, got the package, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I mean, it didn't work that way for us. Maybe other folks are, you know, smarter than we are, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a lot of work and continues to be you know, work.
0: So now how do you enforce uh, a level of discipline on the message to ensure consistency? Because at the national level, as we have seen in the, in the last couple of presidential elections, um, the discipline throughout the organization from, you know, the candidate to the lowliest volunteer uh, in some quarters was exceptional. You know, at the local level, you don't have necessarily the same resources, the same time, a lot of these folks are volunteers. How do you ensure consistency of message? Because, again, I would say that beyond your issue of garnering political support locally, there will come a point when you're going to have to market the network. And a similar type of messaging discipline is going to be vital to the marketing process. How do you how do you enforce that without being you know obnoxious and objectionable?
1: <laughs> well, you know, and I think the way you do it, you know, obviously you would like to have a few key individuals that are the first ones to catch an inquiry from the outside and and go present, Uh right? So the message gets presented the same way every time. But it's really important within the the city, um, uh, you know, employee family, if you will, to get that same messaging to them and help them. So we would meet with departments that didn't have anything to do with this but did interact with the public, Uh and we would sit down with them and 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 literally give them little cheat sheets. If this question comes up, here's how you should answer this question comes up here's how you should answer if a question comes up you can't answer send them to us uh-huh. and that worked and, and they started doing that with the elected officials, um, uh, the director of LPC, you know, did a great job and continues to do a great job of keeping them informed of our internal dialogues and our community dialogues and the way we're answering. So we give them much broader cheat sheets. Uh-huh. But we have face-to-face discussions with them so that when they're out and about talking to the community, somebody asks a question, they answer it pretty closely to the way that we would answer. I mean, they are politicians, and they they think, but still, you know, they they did a great job. I mean, Mm -hmm. they've done a great job, and I think, you know, across the community, I mean, and that takes work, you Mm -hmm. know, that, that takes a real concerted effort. I'm going to make sure the employees in public works and natural resources and, you know, the folks over here in finance and the city clerk's office knows what we're telling the community, has a cheat sheet that they could use can answer the way we would answer if the question came directly to us uh-huh. and then make sure you keep your elected officials close
0: and and really
1: as part of the process, you know, and, and that you're feeding them the information as you're making nuance changes and things like that. Uh-huh. It, it's That's an effort in itself. Okay. And, and I you know, I don't think it could emphasize too much how important that consistent communication, you know, is, um, is to an effort like this. Right, okay. That, means, know, that makes a lot of sense. You, you want to say the same thing the same way every time. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Then you want everybody involved to say the same thing the same way every time. Then it becomes part of your community consciousness, right? if you will. I mean, we've got, you know, um, during this last referendum, we had a group called the Friends of Fiber uh-huh. um, who ended up being 30-odd people or whatever, and we met with them regularly and we taught them to answer the question (laughs) the same way every time, right? So they became part of creating this community consciousness. And it was great. I mean, there were people who, you know, I I hadn't talked to and I knew hadn't talked to anybody in the city and this, you know, we'd start dialoguing about this and I'd hear our words come back. Mm -hmm. I was like, sweet, this is working. Right, right, (laughs) right. That makes a lot of sense.
0: Questions. I know that folks have questions or maybe people don't have questions about some of the mechanics. Um, so let's talk about the, the messenger or the messengers, right? Um, who carries your message in most political campaigns has as much to say about the potential for success or the liability of failure as anything else. Um, who should the messengers be? You know, in a general general sense, in In a a municipality municipality. trying to, you know, garner political support from the constituents, (laughs) trying to get, um, you know, bolster and
1: reinforce the political will of the establishment. Mm -hmm. Um, Who does does that? You know, um, I mean, staff is staff. You know, we do work, right? (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) Fair um, enough, fair enough. Right?
1: Um, You know, generally speaking, I mean, we do have a public information office. I think most... Cities probably do, uh-huh. right? And and when the press has a question or something, they know to go to, you know, the, the, the PIO
0: and, you know,
1: ask the question there. He or she will find, you know, generally go find the right person to respond to it. Um, you know, I think you need, um, at the beginning of something like this, you need mayor and council member buy-ins because they are always out in the community uh-huh. and speaking with the community. They're really, you know they're the message bearers to the community and from the community. I mean that's their official role. Uh-huh, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. I mean that's who they are. You know, and, and I think that if you're gonna be successful with something like this, you you need to leverage those folks and assist those folks with this messaging back and forth, and you better listen to them when they come back and, <laughs> and, and provide you what they're hearing, you know, from the community. Uh-huh. But, I mean, that's their official role, to be message bearers back and forth. Right. You know, you know our role is, is to get the job done, make sure, you know, they're not hanging in the breeze. They have all the information that's required for them to be, you know, intelligent about this and, and understand what all the different, you know, nuances and impacts are. Um, you know, for what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. but they are the, the, they're the official message guys. Right. Um, you know, in, in our, um, in LPC, um, we have an individual whose responsibility is to communicate with, you know, the press, social media, um, you know, inquiries that come in over the phone, and then um, I work with that individual as well um, just because I'm intricately involved with, you know, what we're doing with broadband services. But i say today, you know, you could, again, this has been over time, but you could grab any one of ten individuals out of LPC, you know, when somebody was making an inquiry, and you'll get the same message that you would have from another one. We all say the same thing the same okay over and over. And, and LPC is Longmont Power and Communications, okay. yes. Yeah, so we're the, we're the division of Longmont that's responsible for, um, you know, bringing this out to the community and operating it. Uh-huh. Let's talk about a delicate
0: internal political issue. Um, any broadband effort, at least from my perspective, is going to draw a bunch of folks, you know, who will be interested. And there will be a lot of those folks who will want to, you know, in essence be the messenger, help get the message out. Um, I have both witnessed and heard about, you know, you get one or two individuals and their heart's in the right place, but you really don't want them to be your front person, because it can be embarrassing for a number of reasons. Usually, you know, they don't have, you know, good persona, they don't get across well, or they're too, uh, too intense, which can be a problem, you know, or they're they're too technical, which is definitely a problem once you leave, you know, a technical audience. How do you handle, you know, you never want to turn people away per se, but you also have the greater,
1: you know, effort to consider. How do you deal with that kind of? You know, I think the way, you know, the way we did it was really stepped up the level of internal communication in the city and, and talking to a variety of departments. Uh-huh. I mean, they're, you know, humans are humans, and so you're, you're never going to get complete control of, of that aspect of this, right? Uh-huh. But I think that if you really make a concerted effort to share information, and and spread it along, you know, out in the entire um, uh, city community, city Mm -hmm. employee community, right? You stand a much better chance of of those individuals saying something close to the right thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't know that there's any way for you to to get that 100%, but I think it's really about information flow internally and externally to help that situation Mm -hmm. um, along. Right. You know, Right. Now, I, you know, it's
0: clear when you have folks who present a positive image and so forth, you know, recruiting them to the cause is a fairly, you know, straightforward process. But take this, you know, scenario. Someone comes in and say you are talking about the business community,
1: you know, Generic
0: Town USA business community. Someone comes in who is maybe the head of the chamber or someone who is head of the largest company. Mm-hmm may have a great sense of self-importance and says, well, you need me to go out and reach these folks, right? And you're kind of going, okay, but then you know or you find out along the way that people in the community don't really like him, you sort of, or her, you know, they're in that position, that sort of that leadership position, sort of like self-imposed mm-hmm. or whatever, but you've got this balancing act. And again, I, I bring this up because these issues do happen. You have a balancing act of that constituency is important to the overall broadband effort but this person is a lightning rod yeah how do you deal with lightning rods you when know you throw water on them. yeah yeah right
1: <laughs> I can tell you it's not a good idea You're probably it's not, not probably idea. not um, you know um, in in uh, in Longmont we got three three main agencies like that. So there's Longmont Area Economic Council, Uh the Chamber of Commerce, and then the Longmont Downtown District Authority, Uh right? And all these folks are out in the public all the time. And so, uh, again, you know, we targeted them specifically. The leaders in each one of those groups and said, I want to make sure you're completely up to date. You know, we'd, we'd go out for lunches. We'd sit down at formal meetings and keep them educated as well and keep them up to date with what we're doing and, and the efforts and all that, uh-huh. hoping yeah. that you know they would repeat the message the same way every time. I think if you share, if you yourself or your organization, the city staff, if you will, can, can operate in a fashion where we're neutral, uh-huh. We're Switzerland. Uh-huh. Share all the information with everybody in the same way all the time. Then those lightning rods, even though they are a lightning rod in the community, the message that they gave will be the same as what they heard from the chamber, will be the same as what they heard from LAC, which will be the same as what they heard from, LAC, the they heard from us. Uh-huh. And, you know, because actually we've had a few lightning rods in, in Loma, uh-huh. and the message overcame that. Right, because okay. the message was consistent across all the political uh-huh. forums and, and, and parties. So it just kind of danced around. So that, yeah, the message exactly. kind of got its own life, uh-huh. you know, and it was separated from any individual, which is really what, we were, what we've always been trying to do, is, is not make it about an individual or a group of individuals, but make it about the community, the community message, if you will, the, uh-huh. the community program, the community network. You know, I think that's, that's the way you overcome that, uh-huh. is make really emphasize, and this is not something we did right up front, this is something we've done over time as we learn more and more through our dialogue is this is a community thing. And mm-hmm. if the community takes ownership of it and really understands it belongs to them, and, and the revenue generated by it goes back into the community, mm-hmm. which is a big deal. right? Right, That's a big part of our messaging is you spend your dollars, and they stay here in Longmont. They don't go to Philadelphia. They don't go to Atlanta. They don't go uh-huh. to other places around the country. They go right back into Longmont. It benefits you uh-huh. in your community, and you get a better product at a better price. This becomes a community thing they own, and they don't need, you know. I, I know what you're talking about. you, you got to start someplace, and, right. and a lot of municipalities do need that political will. You uh-huh. do need to find a champion. Uh-huh. you know whether it's the mayor or or a council member or a number of council members or something i agree with you 100% there really needs to be a champion there to move this forward at the beginning stages uh-huh. or i don't know how it would happen right 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 you know
0: now what about um you know i had a i had a conversation a couple of days ago with someone from a large metropolitan area and he was describing all these various you know parts of the city that were being represented um, on the call-a-mate Task Force, and then there were X number of folks who were not part of the city, but they represented another element of the of the project. And at a point, I, I asked him, I said, "Well, what happens? <clears throat> what happens if uh, when when the next election comes and the mayors may change? Because I have been seen in, in various cities, and I don't know if it's worse in larger cities than smaller cities." But the changing of the mayor and or city council can have a major impact when you're in the middle of the campaign. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to start, because generally, I find in a lot of places, uh, the, the champions and the stakeholders will find politicians who are in favor, and they kind of form that coalition, they get this thing moving and it's off the ground. But if it's a long project, or if it's a big city, which by default means a large project, a long project, you have to worry about the changing of the political guard. How do you either um, influence that legally or survive it so that it doesn't become something
1: that derails? The effort yeah so and and i think um you know, over recent history if we look over the last 12 months there's been uh evidence of that in a few communities that we're moving forward with broadband initiatives and the guard changes and that broadband issue is like yep, yep not as important anymore exactly i gonna put this on the back burner and right. work on you know something else mm-hmm. um you know it goes back to what i was i was talking about earlier you you've got to target the political organizations
0: uh-huh. that
1: support the politicians okay. and get them on board across. You know, um, there was an article, you can look it up, and I think it was the 2011 election, um, Times Call, our, our local newspaper, uh, the uh, business editor, Tony Kindlespire, was writing about this election. He said this is the first time in his history that he has seen a completely bipartisan issue on, on the ballot, mm-hmm. where every single party that he went and talked to, right, as a business editor for the newspaper said, we supported 100%. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was attributed to us targeting those political organizations and getting them to the buy in so that the political candidate goes along and goes, hey, I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have to worry about this change out because we did have change outs in each one of these actually right I remember order. some of those yeah too. council mayor right. you know, mayors changed the uh-huh. council members changed nothing changed on the broadband initiative the support was already there and you move forward so you have to be careful not to make it you know not,
0: not to get personal or political, political. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: exactly it's political right.
0: without being political and personal
1: don't make it personal don't make it p- political make it community right if you can make a community you'll win and it'll keep moving forward and it'll survive those changes. If you let it become a political issue or a personal issue, you know. You got problems. You potentially. <laughs> All right. So,
0: um, see, we've got about uh, 10 minutes to go here. Let's talk for a second about um, policy. You know, again, you know, don't think of the politics of broadband as strictly the elected officials and elected leaders there are policy issues that come into play. Google is probably one of the better examples of highlighting, say, within the state of California and a couple of other states, that there are there are policies and procedures by the local politicians that make it so that Google doesn't want to get involved. I'm, I have mixed feelings on that, but I won't go into those now. However, the issue, though, is there are policy decisions that need to be made or are in place that have an effect on broadband. How do the, the, you know, the core stakeholders address the policy issues? Like, how do you influence policy? How do you change policy? Um, Because usually that's a behind, that's not even a public thing that happens often.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's important for staff, whichever staff is involved with trying to move this thing forward uh-huh. in in turn ter- you know, inside of a municipality to identify those uh-huh. up front, the impact that they're going to have on trying to move an initiative forward like this, have a lot of dialogue with mayor and the council members about this. I mean that's again, that's a another great job that, you know, the the director of L P C and, and his staff did, you know, supporting him in, in talking with the council members about hey look um, you know here's a policy that's in place that could have an impact on our ability to be successful at this uh-huh. here's um, uh, charter issues in the city charter that could have an impact on it here's organizational issues that could have an impact on it so it's really important for staff to look at that entire landscape identify it number uh-huh. one uh-huh. number two you know be able to suggest things that could make that better you know for the community. Regardless, But then also for this broadband initiative, um, I mean, prior to this referendum, we actually put the uh, the broadband utility and the electric utility were two separate utilities. Uh Even though they were under the umbrella of LPC, they operated as two separate utilities. And for the benefit of going out for a $45 million bond, right, we did some homework uh, in front, and the bonding authority said, well, your broadband you know, utilities got this much track record, your 101-year-old, you know, electric utilities got this track record and this amount of money behind. You put these two together, you're going to get a much more favorable interest rate. Uh It'll cost the community less to do this. So we went, you know, in the middle of, of putting all this together, we had this discussion with the council and the mayor, and then when we went before them, you know, the council meeting said, we need to put these two entities together. It was, you know, that dialogue had already taken place and everybody Uh understood the benefit, the end benefit to the community is this money was going to cost us less over time. So that was something that that we had to figure out, you know, early on. Uh Right. So I think that really, you know, to to answer your question, I think that all really rolls back on staff to identify those policy issues, those organizational issues, you know, could be city charter issues and bring those to the forefront internally and determine, you know, how to get this set up properly so that this initiative can go forward, it doesn't hit a brick wall, and you've got all this community support, and mm-hmm. boom. Right. You know, yeah, that's not a
0: good thing at all. So let's shift this a little bit. What should be the role of staff and the role of elected officials when the broadband effort is being driven by a co-op, a nonprofit like a community foundation, basically the community but not the political structures?
1: Yeah, I think if, you know, I think if the, 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 the staff, I mean, in, in a municipality, you know, city managers kind of directing everything that's happened. We, mm-hmm. we don't work on things on our own initiative too much. Right. You know, we'll look at, you know, look at different things. I mean, just as part of our normal, you know, business and our normal way of doing things and go, hey, you know, there's some things that might benefit the community. We should try and bubble these up, you know, for people to, to look at and, and see if there's any interest any in political support for this from the mayor and the council members, but Uh I think if if an outside organization is trying to drive this broadband initiative, um, for instance, if in Longmont the school district, which is very progressive, you know, was trying to drive this broadband initiative, their path to moving this forward would definitely be along the lines of the elected officials and the city manager. That's where they would have had to have taken the dialogue to move, you know, to get anything, any initiative in place to move staff along to start looking at it and figuring out how this could happen. Uh-huh. That's the proper, you know, process, if you will. That's, that's the proper workflow uh-huh. for that, okay. you know, to uh-huh. take place. Going directly to staff, I mean, you know, we could do some things, but, you know, we don't drive, you know, policy. We don't drive. You know, we'd we, we get the pieces, parts, of Right. Place, right? Uh-huh. So, yeah, if, if you're in a community where an outside of the municipality organization is trying to drive this forward, then they've got to go to the elected officials, really, to, to engage that dialogue and try and, you know, make this uh, something that boils up to the top. Interesting. Right. Okay. Because I know that
0: in a number of communities, that is the case. I mean, either... Um, there's co-op that's, that's driving it. And in a couple of communities now, what's, what's starting to happen, and I have mixed feelings on, on it at the moment, is that you've got local business folks that are, mm-hmm. that are coming up and saying, okay, we'll build this, and you know they'll say to the city, well, give us access to your conduit, or give us access to your other infrastructure, and we'll just go ahead and build it. And um, I get in, the issue that I have with this is, the, the business of broadband, right? And I wrote an article about this called "The Business of broadband, Like, who does Kansas City own the business of broadband? Which is, you want broadband to impact economic development and education and the whole raft of things. And if you want to do that, you have to control the process. You may not necessarily have to own the infrastructure, but you need to control the process, mm-hmm. right? Um, is is that a valid? Positions that, that the like when the city does contract, like if a business comes in and says, well, we'll do this for free, um, nothing's really free, but, you know, does the city have a responsibility to really be on top of the contract and negotiate a tough contract
1: that protects the community? Yeah. Yeah, I think you do. Um, if you go back in Wilmot's history, in uh, the early 2000s, um, the city did partner with a telecommunications company to build fiber to the home all the way back in, in 2000, 2001. And to me, that's just amazing understanding how this dialogue has progressed over the last decade and how far ahead Longmont was in the thinking here. Uh-huh. And and that third-party organization, that private industry was going to own and operate it, but the city was going to, you know, help them make it through the city, uh-huh. right, and, and get this done. But the contract, the city did a great job on the contract and basically said, if, if you are going to pull up stakes and leave, if you fail or go away, whatever the case may be, those assets rolled off. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we don't want them ending up in this nebulous space where you're no longer around. You don't own them, but we don't own them because there's no contractual relationship. that said we own them. They're just sitting there in the ground right, rotting, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it really was incumbent on the city to put together a proper contract with that you know, private industry Group, because that's exactly what happened. We had the telecom uh-huh. bus uh-huh. in 2002. That company went away. City ended up with those assets, right? Right. Okay. And now we're going to utilize them a decade later, basically in in this build out. Uh-huh. So that that really did get covered in the contract. And you know, that's just a whole other nuance to this thing. I mean, you got to look at every single piece and part of this, and especially I think from a municipality you know, partnering with the private sector, one of the things, I, I, I've been a private sector guy all my life. Uh-huh. The First time I've ever worked in a municipality. You know, private sector comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes. You know, cities rarely do, right? And so when, when you're creating these relationships with the private sector, I think the city's got to be very, you know, it is tough contracting. You, you've got to get it down to where as long as you're doing it and it's going well and everything's great, Perfect. We'll Mm -hmm. support you. You blow up, you go away, you whatever, it comes to us, and then we'll deal with it from there. Okay. And I guess that plays in what will be my last question,
0: and you got like 90 seconds, so it's kind of a hot-button issue. Um, I, as a community, am facing a business that comes in and says, I will build a network, but I won't build it for these people. I won't build it for the benefit of these underserved populations. I will only do X. Should a city just walk away from that? Or should the city say, okay, well, great, if you will do this part, fine, but you will not have an exclusive with
1: the city, you will go find someone else who will fill in that. Yeah, uh-huh. and I think that's, yeah, I think obviously that's the right answer, right? You know, that whole question, we call it cherry picking, uh-huh. right? You right. know, that, that whole question of cherry picking is is definitely a big question in the community. You know, um, the community wants a ubiquitous Everybody to be able to have, you know, have the advantage and take access of this thing. Um, you know, I. It's a, that's a tough one. I mean, we know what Kansas City because that's right. kind of what Google's doing. Right. Because you know, they wanted pick.
0: to be there, and everybody wants Google. But then right. Google turned
1: around and said that yep. poor part of town. Yeah. No, they are. You know, they are cherry picking, and and I think Kansas City is still benefiting from that, uh-huh. and will continue to benefit from that. So they've got to figure out how to take that benefit and go address that. Right. And, the areas that Google's not going to go after. I wouldn't say no. I'd say, you know, momentum's momentum, movement's movement. Right. Let's start moving. Adapt number four. Exactly. Excellent. Vince,
0: it has been a pleasure having you on the show again. Thank you very, very much for your time and your insights. And uh, I will definitely be keeping track of your progress and have you on the show again sometime. All
1: right. Thanks, Chris. pleasure to be here. Enjoyed
0: it. Excellent. And to our audience, thank you very much for listening in one more time to um, – our show, and we'll be back again with some more great uh, folks with some more great insights on how to get broadband everywhere it needs to be. Have a great day.
1: With Lucky Lance Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere.